This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Although some commentaries say that Kina Chafei is the first Kina recited on Tishabav that speaks about tragedy unrelated to the Chorben, Rav Salvechik argues that in fact it's Kina Chafbez that's the first one commemorating the massacres of the communities of the Rhineland, Spires, Mainz, and Worms during the First Crusade in 1096. Accordingly, there is a line in the Kinnah which would be understood in the context of the Crusades. On page 258, when talking about the massacre of these communities, we say, Miyafli Nezirois Umiyaroich Nedarim. Who will now interpret the intricacies of the Nazarite vows who will now arrange the complex laws of oaths and annulment. It refers to Nazirus and Nadarim, which at first glance do not seem like the most pressing topics. You know, most people when they have a Shaila, they say, they don't say, you know, I wish I had an a expert in the laws of Nazirus. Most people don't take upon themselves being a Nazarite. However, Rav Salvechik explains that in the context of the tragedy of the Crusades, the meaning of this line comes to light. The intent of the Python is to allude to two Mesechtois and Shas that we don't have Perush Rashi. We all know that without Rashi HaKadosh, the Shas is a Sefer Chosom. And yet there are two Mesechtois that Arayoyim Azer remain very difficult. Mesechta Nazarim, Mesechta Nazirus, Mesechta Nazir. And there could have been another Rishon from the base Rashi who would have stood up, maybe Rashbam, maybe the Rihazakein, maybe Ra- And they could have wrote a Perush on Nazarim and Nazir. But all the German Baliatoises were murdered, they were killed out. There was no one to write these commentaries. And therefore, Ad Hayyam, when we learn these Mesechtas, it's not the same. We cannot get to the same level of understanding as the other Mesechtas because we don't have Rashi and we don't have anyone who is able to be Memale Mokoim Rashi. Now, let me share with you a personal question that I've been grappling with over the last couple of days regarding the tragedy of the Crusades. According to Rav Moshe, the Kinnus of Tishabav is reserved only for tragedy directly related to Chorben. So therefore, we can mourn the Holocaust. That was from the presiding government, the Germans, world power. But we're not going to talk about the Chalmanitsky pogroms because that's unrelated to the Holocaust. Because that wasn't perpetrated by the government, it was anti-government. And studying the Crusades over the last couple of months, it's somewhat difficult for me to understand why the tragedies of the Crusades are included in the liturgy of Tishabav. Were the Crusades perpetrated by the government? When Pope Urban called for the Crusades, you know, 100,000 people answered the call. And the purpose of the Crusades was to liberate Jerusalem from the Muslim infidels. 
they weren't charged with wiping out Jewish communities. They weren't supposed to massacre mains and spires and worms. In the First Crusade, they didn't do anything to French Jewry, and they weren't supposed to do anything to German Jewry. That happened through the People's Crusade. The Crusade of Peter the Hermit. He must have been a very friendly gentleman, Peter the Hermit. But he was a soothsayer and a magician, and a, you know, they would take a goose and they would set the goose off, and then 10,000 people would run after the goose. And if the goose ran to Spires, they went to Spires. And if it went to Jerusalem, they went to Jerusalem. You know, we're talking about there were tens of thousands of knights roaming Europe. What was the job of a knight? The job of a knight was to fight a war. So the government didn't know what to do with these knights. The job, a knight in a feudal society, a knight has to pillage, kill, and rape. That's his job description. He didn't know how to lend money. He didn't know how to change plumbing. He couldn't sell used cars. He was a knight. So Pope Urban had to come up with the idea of the crusade to give these chalaria something to do. So they were unguided and some of them went off and they destroyed main spires. I mean, was this... According to Rav Moshe's definition that on Tishba we only mourn tragedy a result of the presiding government. Were the Crusades really the devastation wrought by the government? Or were these a bunch of rebels? The same way we don't mourn Chalmanitsky, why are we talking about the Crusades on Tishabav? Maybe you could say, well, they were under the auspices. Maybe Ramosha would say, they were under the auspices of the Holy Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire didn't even want the crusade. They didn't know what to do with them. Because after they destroyed the Jewish communities, they went after the Roman Empire. They went after the governors. They went after the clergy. I would humbly suggest, continuing the theme that we suggested for the Asar Haruge Malchus, that the purpose of saying the kinos is not to commemorate Jewish tragedy. Jewish people do not commemorate Jewish tragedy. We have better things to do with our time than to commemorate tragedy. What's the purpose of commemorating tragedy? Never forget. Why not? There has to be a tachus. There's a purpose. It's always to identify the cause of Jewish tragedy and to rectify it. And that's how we don't talk about the Chamanitsky pogroms because the root cause of the Chamanitsky pogroms is not relevant to Tishavav. But the root cause of the Crusades are very relevant to Tishavav. The Sefer Seder Hadoyrois of Rabbi Chil Halpern, who the Chida called a great Chacham and a great historian, he writes in his entry for the year 1620. That the Sma writes that the reason why the German Kehilites, especially worms, suffered greater fate than any other community is because when Ezra returned to rebuild the Second Temple, the same way the Levium didn't want to return, there were communities already established in Germany and they didn't want to return. And they said, you go up to your big Jerusalem there in Israel and we'll stay in our little Jerusalem. 
here in Varmaiza. And the Sma said, because they didn't take up the opportunity to go to Eretz Yisrael, and they had the opportunity, they were massacred and wiped out and destroyed. And isn't that not a relevant, rude cause connected to the Chorben Beis HaMikdash? Because the chait that brought about Chorben, of course, was the chait of the Meraglim. And our Me'isa toward Eretz Yisrael, our disgust with Eretz Yisrael. And that was repeated again in the time of the Crusades. And accordingly, this year at Tavshin Pei Beis, we've come up with a really new and revolutionary approach to a thematic approach to all the kinnas. None of the kinnas are just to commemorate Jewish tragedy. The purpose of the kinnas is to identify the causes of Chorben that have continued throughout the generations. Be it Sinas Chinam of the Asara Harugei Malchus. Be it the lack of love toward Eretz Yisrael that we see exhibited in the Piyutim about the Crusades. And therefore, we are not mourning these disasters just to mourn Jewish tragedy, but to identify the cause. You know, the Baal Nesiva Yishamishvat writes in his commentary to Echa, The tear is still on the cheek. Says in the Sivais, the tear of the Meraglim, when they cried, we're not interested in the Holy Land, that tear is still on our cheek. We're still not interested. We prefer our invented Yerushalayim, our mythical Yerushalayim here in the Golas. And we still are not answering the call of Ezra. And whether it's our choice of lifestyle, location. Yeah, I know, the yeshivas, we don't have the education systems. But what about when we retire? Is Florida also Yerushalayim? Is Miami Beach also Yerushalayim? Is every community that we go to, that's our Yerushalayim. But the theme of the kinah is to identify the dimasa alecheya, the tear of the miraglim. We're still crying that same tear. Kinachaf Bez. It's very difficult to understand why we interrupt the regular flow of the kinois that talk about national disaster. Enormous death toll to tell one isolated tale of one boy and one girl. As recounted in the Gemara and Gittin Daf Nunches, the son of Rabbi Shmuel Kayin Gadol was exceptionally handsome. In fact, on Yom Kippur we relate that he was so handsome the daughter of the emperor wanted to flay his skin so that she could gaze at it. And the daughter of Rabbi Shmuel Kayin Gadol who was strikingly beautiful. They were both sold as slaves. This was after the death of Rabbi Shem Ben Gamliel. Excuse me, after the death of Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol. So they were Yisoyimim, one boy and one girl, in the context of millions of people. Is it really appropriate to segue and to break the flow and to talk about one isolated story? Look on the page 260. 
the bottom of the page, So you had these two masters, they both said, I have a beautiful uh, slave woman, and the other one said, I have a very handsome slave, and they said, okay, if we mate them together, we'll be able to produce the most exquisite slaves. So they stood outside the room, and inside the room, they each cried bitterly, with soul and fear, their cries did not still until the morning. He mourned, the tremble inside his heart was melting. Listen carefully. This was a very tempting opportunity for the son of Rabbi Shmuel, His father was dead, he had no family, nobody was watching. How did he withstand this Nisayon? Did he say, how could he do this Avera? He's going to be punished. He's going to burn in the purgatory. Listen to what stopped him. Nin aharoin eich l'shivcha yehei I'm a scion of Aharoin. I'm of royal bearing, royal lineage. I can't let down the aristocracy of my of my lineage. Similar to when Yosef HaTzadik saw the most the Yuknai Shal Aviv. As Rabbeinu Yoyna says, the greatest safeguard not to sin is not Tzachar V'Oynesh. It's Godless Ha'adam. It's recognizing how valuable you and your ancestors are to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Kinnah continues, Or Boiker Zezeh Kehakira in the morning when they recognize each other. Hayachi v'hayachis. Higbirai, whoa brother, whoa sister, they intensified their cries. Vinizdabku Yachad, Vinizchabru, they embraced each other and they cleaved. Ad Yatsusa, until their souls left. Lezois Yekoinen, Yirmiya Bashir, for this Yirmiya lamented. And at first glance, the placement of this kinah seems incongruous. Here we're talking about the mass murder of hundreds of thousands of Jews. And now we're going to speak about the isolated situation of one boy and one girl. Why interrupt the story for the death of two individuals? And Rav Salvechik suggests that is because Judaism has a different approach to the individual. We mourn every individual even if they're not a leader, they're not a scholar, and they didn't play a major role, their parents had been killed in light of major catastrophes, are we, who is responsible to remember the story of the nameless, faceless individual who were taken captive? And the answer is, we are responsible. We have a special kinna dedicated just for them, as if they would be a hundred thousand people. Their life has to be memorialized. We don't forget any yachid in our people. Even when telling the story of the greatest disasters, the individual is never overshadowed. But there's an additional pedagogical reason to mention the story. You know, the Medrash says in Parshas Noyach that Rabbi Akiva was once fundraising. And he went to the city of Ginzik and he wanted to inspire the people. So he said, oh, 
you have to give tzedakah. Do you know what could happen? God killed in the Mabul millions of people. Then they're looking at Rabbi Akiva and they're scrolling on their phone. Nah, nothing. Rabbi Akiva made no impact on them. And then Rabbi Akiva told the story of Eiv and they broke down crying. It is easier to move a person with, the, with an incident of an individual rather than telling the story about the death of thousands. A human being has a hard time connecting. The, the death of thousands cannot resonate with the limited, finite human mind. It's the story of the individual that has more meaning for the human heart. And I want to conclude, my dear friend Rav Shlomo Margarefta was me many years ago, that the story of the son and daughter of Rabbi Shmuel Kayin Gadol was a tikkun for the episode of Amnon and Tamar. They somehow were the tikkun for the story of Amnon and Tamar. Kina Chaf Gimel. That's Navi Chatasi Hishmima. Kina Lamed Vav. Tzioin Haloi This Kina begins the last group of the Kinois. Ten Piyutim that are known as the Tzioin Kinois. All of these ten kinois, with the exception of one, begin with the word Sion, and they are concerned with the fact that Eretz Yisrael is the chosen land of God. Studying these kinois, one may wonder, these do not seem to be kinois at all. We're not mourning anything, they're not mournful, they're not sorrowful. They're hopeful, they're longing, they speak about the great love of Eretz Yisrael. Why are they classified as kinois? Why do they even belong here? But as mentioned, the purpose of the kinos is not to commemorate Jewish tragedy. We have better things to do with our time than to commemorate Jewish tragedy. The purpose of the kinos is to identify the root cause of the disasters and the atrocities and how we could correct it. And the primary root cause of all Jewish suffering is apathy and disgust with Eretz Yisrael. It began with the Chet HaMaraglim, V'dimasa Alechaya, and it continues until today. And therefore, the grand finale of the Kinois is Tzioin Haloise Shali L'Shloi Masirayach. Written by Rabbi Yudah Levi, one of the greatest of the all-time Paitanim. In fact, the Rajvah and Shuvah Tov Yerches writes, Rabbi Yudah Levi is the greatest in merit and distinction of all the Paitanim. Rabbi Yudah Levi was one of the Rishonim, born in Toledo in 1080. He was the Talmud of the Rif and the Rimagash, who they recently found his kever, and you know what that means. Aside from the studying, by the way, I was at the kever of Rabbi Yudah Halevi, even though nobody knows where he's buried, but the best account they have is that Rabbi Yudah Halevi is buried in an Arab village in the north of Israel, in the city of Kabul. And he's buried next to the Ibn Ezra and Rav Shlomo Ibn Gabriel. And we got police protection with cooperation from the Palestinian police protection. And if you want to see how that worked, there's something called TorahAnyTime.com. You could see the Israeli police and the Palestinian police escorting us to the kever of Rabbi Huda Alevi. Rabbi Huda Alevi was literally in love with the land of Israel. He's the one who uttered the famous words, Libi ba Mizrach, and there have been many pilgrims who traveled to Eretz Yisrael. No one expressed their love for Eretz Yisrael like Rabbi Yudah Levi. 
The Rambam in the Moran of Vuchim only mentions Eretz Yisrael one time. Rabbeinu B'chayi does not mention Eretz Yisrael at all in the entire Chavis Havavais. Even the Ramban, who is a great lover of the land of Israel, only mentions Eretz Yisrael in a halachic sense. Rabbi Yudha Levi, however, expresses passion in a very poetic, literary style. On page 328, Rabbi Yudha Levi is mekoinein. Who shall make me wings so that I might wander far away? Onid I would cause my shattered heart to wander amidst your shattered ruins. What does Rabbi Yudha Levi mean? Can I be a bird and fly? Did Rabbi Yudha Levi literally want to grow wings? I believe he's echoing the words of the greatest lover of Eretz Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu. The Medrash tells us in Varam Rabbah that when Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, look from the mountain, you could see it, but you can't go there. So Moshe said, if I can't go there, let me go like an animal. So Hashem said, you can't go like an animal. So Moshe said, let me at least fly through the land like a bird. Hashem said, Rav Lach, too much. You can't even fly through a bird, like a bird. So Moshe asks, in the Doris Moshe, that the Gemara in Soita says that Moshe wanted to enter Eretz Yisrael to Mekayi Mitzvot Hatzluyos Baaretz. But if he would go in as a bird, he can't fulfill the mitzvah, so of what benefit would it be to fly through the land of Israel like a bird? Says Moshe, from here we see the great spiritual benefit of merely passing through the airspace of Eretz Yisrael, even without fulfilling any mitzvahs. What is the holiness of Eretz Yisrael? You ready for this? What imbues Kedusha into Eretz Yisrael? Is it the Beis HaMikdash? Certainly. Is it the Kois HaMaravi? Yes. But listen to the words of Yudha Levi. I would fall with my face on your soil. I would intensely cherish your stones. And I would favor your dust. Even the stones, even the dirt of Eretz Yisrael are endowed with desirable qualities. Like the Gemara says in Ksubis that Rabbi Abba would literally kiss the stones of Akai. In this week's par- uh, parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Let me please cross, cross over. Says the Paneach Raza, one of the masters of the secrets of the Psukim. Paneach Raza says the Yardin was 50 Amois wide. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Let me enter the land even 51 Amois and just step one Amma into Eretz Yisrael. What gives Kedusha to the dirt of Eretz Yisrael? Says Rabbi Yehuda Alevi on the fourth line. Even as I stand by the graves of my patriarchs, the and I behold in wonderment, the choicest burial spots in Chevroin. Mount Avarim, Mount Har, the resting place of your two great lights. You know what gives Eretz Yisrael its Kedusha? 
the tzaddikim that are buried there. The fact that Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Moshe, and Aaron are buried in Eretz Yisrael endows the dirt of Eretz Yisrael with Kedusha. By the way, we find the same principle in Sefer Nehemiah, Rav Salvechik points out, that when Eretz Yisrael and Yishayim lay desolate, Nehemiah came before the king of Paras, and he said, he looked despondent, dejected. So the king said, Nehemiah, that's not honorable for you to look despondent and dejected in my presence. And Nehemiah said, How can I not be dejected? When the city Yerushalayim, not the resting place of the Shekhinah, the place where my forefathers are buried, lay desolate. Which forefathers are buried in Yerushalayim? Moshe Rabbeinu is not buried there. Aaron is not buried there. The Avos are in Hebron. Who's buried in Yerushalayim? Ah, oh, in Yerushalayim you have Har Hazesim, you have Zechariah, you have Nevi'im, you have Chagai Zechariah Malachi, you have many early Nevi'im buried there. And then Rabbi Yudah Levi pens perhaps his most stirring words. Chaye Neshamois Avir Artseich. A breath of life for the soul is the air of your land. Breathing the air of Eretz Yisrael invigorates the soul with life-giving properties to live a spiritual existence. Rabbi Yudah Levi expands on this idea in the Kuzari. Rabbi Yudah Levi says in the Kuzari that just like the body requires oxygen, the soul requires fine, delicate spiritual air. When one is in Israel and they breathe in the air, it's spiritually potent. In fact, the great Mekubal, the great grandfather of the Chida, Rabbi Avram Azulai, says, Eretz Yisrael is called Avira De'ara. Avira is Oisiyos. Avir HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Avir is, called, is a reference to Avir, the Avir of Hashem. Rabbi Yudah Levi's greatest contribution to Torah literature is his great work, Kuzari. Kuzari describes the quest of the king of the Khazar tribe to determine the true religion by questioning a Christian, a Muslim, and a Jewish scholar. The king was finally convinced of the authenticity of Judaism, but he said he was able to point out one authentic flaw in Jewish observance, and that is, he says, the Jewish people play pray three times a day, So the king of the Kuzars, Our praying to go back to Eretz Yisrael is like the chirping of a bird. Yeah, people will buy psicha for tal, psicha for geshem, for big bucks, because people want money, to buy food, to indulge in New York. But when people pray to go back to Tzion, it's like they're reciting the telephone book in a foreign language. The Im says the Kuzari, you know why Mashiach has not come? Because we tell God, we don't want Mashiach. No thank you. No thanks. But says the Kuzari, Im hayinu mizamnim atzmeinu likras alekeh avayseinu belev of sholem of anefesh chafetza if we would prepare ourselves to return to Hashem wholeheartedly in Eretz Yisrael hayinu poigim 
But we have formally asked Hashem, please Hashem, do us a big favor. Do not bring the Mashiach. But if we would ask Him and we would go to Eretz Yisrael, then Mashiach would come. And the Kuzari took his own words to heart. And he set out to the land that his heart yearned for and upon reaching Damascus, legend has it that he recited this kinah. And the Kloisenberger Rebbe himself, who before the war had a very different attitude toward Eretz Yisrael, after the war accepted upon himself to return to Eretz Yisrael and on the plane it is this kinah that the Kloisenberger Rebbe recited in his return to the Holy Land, Kinah, Lamed Vav, Tzioin, Shali. Okay, if I may, just share with you two important thoughts on Kinah Lamed Ches, and then we're going to discuss Kinah Aleph, which will be the final Kinah that we will explicate. In Kinah Lamed Ches, that we just said, there's a, a very beautiful line that should be focused on The seventh line, Those who reside in their graves yearn for the day of your salvation. Then they will flourish and come to life. Which seems to indicate that there is an idea that there is for those who await the Geula. The Gemara Masech Tatayna says on Lamed Amabez, what does that mean? There have been many tzaddikim throughout the ages who have mourned for Yushalayim and they never saw the building of Yushalayim. Says the Ritva, Rabbeinu Yom Tefar Avram Alashvili, we know in the end of days there will be a Tchias Hamesim, when man will reap his ultimate reward. But says the Ritva, from this Gemara of Kol HaMesavu Yushalayim, we learn there are two Tchiyas HaMesims. One for general tzaddikim in the end of days, but one will be for the tzaddikim who awaited, who yearned for the Geula. They will have VIP Tchiyas HaMesim, a resurrection, a revivification that will be only for the special tzaddikim who awaited the coming of the Beis HaMikdash so that they can see B'nechom HaSiyah and V'yushalayim. That's what it means. So says Rav Shalim Abravda in his Sefer Ivan Hamikdash. This ritva is alluded to in the seventh line. Please take a look at page three forty-two. We say fourth line. Kida. The scent of the kida and the kane and other choice fragrances wafted adead ir tamarim to the city of palms to Yerichai, Simanoyach, where the fragrance of your spices reached. Af Asher Shoimrim Sharim, the gates, the sound of the Levites who opened the gates, you know that creek. You know, if you have big gates without W2, W2, what is it called? Just checking. WD40, the gates make a very loud noise. The sound of the creaking gate could be heard in Yerichai. This is all documented in the Mishnah Masech Tamid, where the Mishnah lists 
10 activities that took place in Yerushalayim that could be heard, smelled, or sensed in Yerichai. Not only could the Ketores be smelled, when the Shoifer was born, blown, it was heard in Yerichai. What's the meaning of this? Comes the Ravid. By the way, regards from the Ravid. We just visited him in Provence. The Ravid, in his commentary to the Mishnah, says it wasn't that these phenomena were sensed in every equidistant around Yerushalayim to Yerichai. It was only in Yerichai, says the Ravid. Could you smell the Ketores? Could you hear the Shoifar? Could you hear the creaking door? Says the Ravid, why? It was Maisa Nisim. Why did Hashem make the miracle? Says the Ravid, She'yerichai haisa k'moi Yerushalayim. Jericho is like Jerusalem. Why is Yerichai like Yerushalayim? Since it's the first city Yeshua conquered, it's like the Truma of Eretz Yisrael, and it has been separated to have Kedusha like Yerushalayim. And that is why every miracle that took place in Yerushalayim was sensed in Yerichai. Says Shalash Yitzhuva Zichron Yosef, if you look in the Sifri, it says that when they were distributing Eretz Yisrael, they made a deal that any Shevet that allows the base of Migdash to be built in their Shevet, they will get a compensation, 500 Amos by 500 Amos, How is Yerichai compensation for Yerushalayim? Says the Zichron Yosef, according to the Ravid, that Yerichai is like Yerushalayim, we understand how Yerichai could take the place of Yerushalayim. Comes the Tzitzeliezer, and shouts to Tzitzeliezer, Chelek Yud. We know Chelek Yud of Tzitzeliezer is dedicated to the new halachos that came up now that Klai Yisrael got back all the Mekomis HaKadoshim in 1967. Chelek Yud, Tzitzeliezer, of all the new halachos that were developed. Says the Tzitzeliezer, it's absolutely haunting that during the Six-Day War, at the precise same second that Jerusalem was freed, Yerichai was also conquered. And therefore, says the Tzitz Eliezer, something that nobody ever paid attention to, that just like Yerushalayim is Yifei Noif, Mesoyis Kala Oretz, and we would never give up Yerushalayim, likewise, you can never give up the city of Yerichai. Kina Mem Aleph. Now, when I was preparing the Kinnah this year, my gut reaction was, I'm going to start the intro is going to be about Kinnamem Aleph. After all, only a few days ago, about 10 days ago, we stood opposite Hotel de Ville in the square in Paris where the 24 cartloads of Shas and their commentaries were burnt in the year 1242. The author of this Kinnas was Rav Meir Barbaruch, the Marami Rutenberg, one of the last of the Balea Toysus. In fact, he's the author of Toysus Amasachta Yuma. You look in Tosim Sechdel Yuma, the Chida points out, the signoin, the Lashoin, the expression is different. It was composed, it was redacted by the Marami Rotenberg, who's a student of the Arzarua. And Marami Rotenberg was imprisoned in a castle in Einzusheim, and an exorbitant sum was uh, requested for his release. And he passed, and they weren't allowed to release him because ain't paid in a sashum And his student, the Rush, disagreed. He says this doesn't apply to the Gadol Hadar, and the Rush 
personally took upon himself to raise a requisite sum, but by the time the rush came up with the sum, the Marami Rutenberg had already died in 1327, and then the rush figured they're after him, so the rush had to run away to Spain. It's interesting, when the Maram died in Spain, in, in, uh, in prison, they would not release his remains. And a wealthy man by the name of Alexander Wimfin paid for the release of his remains on condition that when Alexander would, be, would pass away, he would be allowed to be buried right next to the Maram. And sure enough, you could go to Worms and you could see the burial spot of the Maram. And right next to that is Alexander Wimfin. Now, this kina mourns the burning of 24 wagon loads of Shas in Paris. The king of France at the time was Louis IX, known as Saint Louis, not for his tzidkos and piety, but rather his religious zeal to oppress the Jewish people, especially the favor that he showed to Jewish apostates. Nicholas Donin was a Jewish apostate. I want to tell you something very interesting that I just saw over the last couple of days written by Martin Gilbert in the book Churchill and the Jews. We mentioned this quote earlier. This is literally one of the most powerful things I ever, I ever read. Churchill observed something that the Gemara tells us, that when the Jewish people rise up, they rise up all the way to the stars, and when they fall, they fall to the abyss. You know who the most brutal, the most brutal movement in the history of the world was? The Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks eradicated Judaism in Russia in 10 years, what 200 years of Russian czars could not do. And the Bolsheviks were all Jews. They were all Jews. The only one who wasn't a Jew is they said Lenin, because they didn't know Lenin's grandfather was a Jew. They said Lenin, the Bolsheviks are not Jews, because they're led by Lenin, and Lenin's not a Jew. Lenin was, uh, his Zayda was a Jew. They were all Jews. And they eradicated Judaism in the Soviet Union in the course of 10 years. And Churchill was torn what to do because he had a certain sympathy for the Jews. So Churchill wrote, The Jews, some people like them, some people don't. But everyone agrees they are the most formidable people in the history of mankind. And as we mentioned earlier, the battle that beats within everyone's chest between good and evil is magnified many-fold in the heart of the Jew. And Churchill wrote about how all the values of Christianity were brought to the world through the Jewish people and how the greatest threat to Christianity are also the Jews through the Bolsheviks. And, and, and uh, uh, Churchill had to make a personal decision whether to rally his people to try to advocate on behalf of the Jews, knowing that his best friends were killed by the Bolsheviks. But Churchill put into such clear terms the evil that a Jew is capable of, and of course the great good that a Jew is capable of. But throughout history, the greatest enemies of the Jews are the Jews. The, the main inquisitors in Spain were Jews. Turkamada was of Jewish descent. Of course, it can't be any other way. The greatest threat to Judaism, of course, are the reform and conservative. 
The Jews are their worst, worst enemy. And in 1242, Nicholas Danin, a Jewish apostate, was especially vicious to his former co-religionists. He forcibly caused the baptism of the Jews of Anjur and Potier, 500 Jews under the threat of death. 3,000 in all were murdered on Kedosh Hashem. Nicholas Danin realized the backbone and the foundation of Judaism was Talmud Bavli. The backbone of Judaism was Talmud Bavli, and therefore he formally made accusation to Pope Gregory IX that the Talmud contained passages that were heretical to Christianity, and the Pope ordered all copies of the Talmud to be confiscated March 3rd, 1240. The Jews were in Shul, they came into the Shul, they gathered all the Gemaras. And a public debate was held in Paris between Nicholas Danin and four of the most eminent Rabbonim in Paris, Rabbi Chiel of Paris, who ultimately went to Akko with 300 Baleatoises where he died. It would have been burnt immediately if not for the advocacy of the Bishop of Sens, who then convulsed in front of the king, and then the burning of the Talmud was a foregone conclusion. Here's the question. This is the question of the year, and if you could remember one thing from the kinos of Tavshin Pebez, it's this approach, because we've mentioned it many, many times today. Why do we mourn the tragedy of the burning of the Talmud on Tisha B'Av? Sounds like a familiar question. We've never asked this question before. What is it? Because it's always at the end of Kinnas. And it's almost by Chatzois. And most by now, it's Ashrechem Yisrael that you stayed until now. Why do we mourn the, the tragedy of the burning of the Shas on Tisha B'Av? Didn't happen on Tisha B'Av. It was perpetrated not by the Roman government, it was perpetrated by a Jew. What does this have to do with Churban Beis HaMikdash? What would Rabbi Moshe, would Rabbi Moshe say, this is also an offshoot of Churban Beis HaMikdash? But based on the approach that we're offering this year, none of the kinnas are because we're mourning Jewish tragedy. The purpose of the kinna is to identify the causes of Churban that reverberate Ad Hayoyim. And the same way we mourn the Asara Haruge Malchus, because we're commemorating that the Sinas Chinam displayed to Yosef, Adayin Meraki Banu is still prevalent. And the same way we mourn the Crusades, not because they're related to the Chorben, but because the Avera of apathy toward Eretz Yisrael is still prevalent today. The same could be applied to the burning of the Shas. Because one of the eyewitnesses to the burning of the Shas was Rabbi Hillel of Verona who observed the fact that shortly before the Shas was burnt, they burnt the works of the Rambam. There was a big machlikas with the teachings of the Rambam. Many of the sages of Provence defended the Rambam. Rabbi Shlomo Minahara, Rabbi Noyoyna, were against the ideas of the Rambam and the Sefer Hamada and the Marnevuchim. And ultimately the works of the Rambam were sub- submitted to the, punks, uh, to the monks of the Dominican order. And of course they found the works of the Rambam to be antithetical to Christianity and the works of the Rambam were burnt. And Rapillo Verona said, how do I know the reason why the Shas was burnt was because heaven took up the cause of the honor of the Rambam? Because in the very same spot that they burnt the Shas, the ashes of the Rambam mixed with those ashes. And why do we read about this on Tisha B'Av? Because we know why we got into this mess in the first place. 
sinas chinam, which is the most misunderstood and abused concept in Judaism. Sinas chinam. You know, why can't this group get along with that group? Why can't this yarmulke get along with that yarmulke? Says Rabbi Yonasin Eibeshitz, Sinas Chinam means people hate Rabbonim. That's what Sinas Chinam means. Yeah, I love my friends sitting next to me in Shul, but I hate the Rabbi, the Rav, the Rosh Hashiva. That's Sinas Chinam. That's how Rabbi Yonasin Eibeshitz understands the story of Kamsa Bar Chamsa. And this is the grand finale of the Kinos. They had sinas chinam to who? To Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon. The Ritva says, "Mi Moshe v'yad Moshe loikom." There was nobody since Moshe Rabbeinu like the Rambam. But the Jewish people didn't like the Rambam. His ideas were too broad for them. They didn't fit the very narrow passageway that they carved out. That anyone who steps a little bit to the right is michutz lamachene, and anyone who steps a little to the left is a heretic apikairas. And you know, recently at the Agoda convention, they say, you know why there's so many young teenagers who go off the derech because the derech has become so narrow; it's become like a tightrope. There's nowhere for anywhere one to walk anymore. And it's the same thing with the chachme Yisrael. Why don't people accept the Chachmei Yisrael? Because in their minds they've created such a narrow passageway of what's legitimately accepted to their minds that anyone who steps to the right or to the left is not part of their Machana. The problem is there's no one in their Machana. Their Machana is empty. The only thing that fills their Machana is a raging fire of Sinas Chinam to the Gedele Yisrael. And that's where Kinnam Aleph comes in. We're not burning the loss of books. We're not mourning the loss of manuscripts. We're again identifying as we close the Kinnos the root cause of how we got in this mess. And that is the Sinas Chinam. And the same way we mourn the Asara Haruge Malchus, mentioning how the Sinas Chinam that, that was to Yosef Adayin Merach Banu, and is still pre- prevalent. Well, we conclude in the same way. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.